So we've, we're a couple weeks um, to this series, and we've been reading Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, we've been looking at it through the lens and life of King David, who uh, we know for several different reasons was pretty emotionally unhealthy, particularly at this point in his life. Um, we talked the first week about accountability, um, just the blessing that it is to have people who hold us accountable to who we have been called to be and what we've been called to do. Um, and sometimes it's not always fun to be held accountable, but it's necessary. Then we talked about last week about how things sometimes just fall apart as a result. Because oftentimes when we're being held accountable for things, it's usually because of something that we did or didn't do that we were supposed to be doing. Somebody's calling us out. Somebody's bringing um, a behavior or a situation to light. Um, and it's usually at that moment that things begin to crumble. And so we, we talked about uh, last week how sometimes things fall apart. But what I wanted to do this week is talk a little bit about, uh, take a step back and ask ourselves the question, how did I get here? How did we get here? Uh, Because there are times in our life uh, when we look up and don't recognize the person that we have become. And I don't think that it's limited to individuals, though. I think that if we expanded it, we can sometimes take an evaluation of our marriages and say, like, you know what, in this particular moment or in this season, this marriage is not what we expected it to be. Sometimes you can look at your career and say, you know what, I am not where I thought I was going to be or where I should be. And even sometimes a church can look at itself and say, This is not the place that God has called us to. The reality of the fact, brothers and sisters, that oftentimes when we find ourselves in places that we don't recognize and places that don't make sense with what God has called us to, we can often take some time to reflect and ask ourselves a question, how did we get here? How did I get here? I jokingly think about my struggle with weight loss and weight gain. And I find myself pulling out my favorite suit and trying to put it on and noticing that the zipper won't zip all the way, that I need to take the knife. Anybody remember when, like, the belts get too small, you have to get a knife and, like, dig an extra hole? (laughs) Like, how, how did I get here? Well, a quick reflection will say, well, you got here because the M&Ms you eat before you go to bed, the ice cream that you eat before you go to bed, the frosted lemonade shake from Chick-fil-A that you get at night. I can keep going. Uh, And on on a more serious note, even when you think about marriage, there's points, and even in my marriage, where I felt like, oh, the, the, the togetherness isn't where it should be. The intimacy isn't where it should be. And have to honestly reflect and say, well, maybe I've been working too much. Maybe my wife has been talking and I haven't been listening. Maybe I've been too focused on things outside the home that I haven't been the husband or father that I should be. And when you look at where things are and you realize that you're not as happy as you could, you have to ask yourself, how did I get here? And take some honest reflection. And I think even as a church, we have 
these things that guide us. We have our strategic plans, and sometimes we look around and we say, like, oh, it's not as many people here as used to be, or the offering's not uh, matching up. What's, what's going on? We're asking ourselves, at what point in the process did we maybe stray away from the call, the mutually discerned call that God has given our church? The big church, church universal, but even like the individual churches. The reality of the fact is I don't think that anybody or any place, any entity uh, makes intentional decisions on purpose to get off track. I don't think somebody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I want to be immoral. I don't think people wake up in the morning and say like, oh, I don't want to live up to my potential. I don't want to be the person that God called me to be. I don't want to live my life the way that God has called me to. But ultimately, what I believe happens is that time after time, it's it's one small compromise. It's one small compromise that leads to more small compromises and more small compromises. And before you know it, you've gotten off course. It kind of reminds me of a GPS. When you set your course and you head in the direction, there's very specific instructions the GPS gives you to get to the destination that you want to go. And all it takes is for you to be turning the radio to turn on your favorite song or to turn to a new station because they keep playing the same song over and over again and you're tired of it. To miss a turn, to miss an exit, and the next thing you know, you get the little notification that says redirecting off route. The beauty in all of it is this, is that even if you get off route, you can get back on course and end up where you're supposed to go. Sometimes it just seems that it may take a little longer. The reason why I think that this text is so powerful is because King David's life gives us a brief snapshot of how making certain decisions leads us down a path that we were never meant to take. And ultimately, ultimately my hope is that we'll take the experience of King David, look within ourselves, and parse out the similarities so that we too can avoid finding ourselves too far off track. I used to always joke with my sister. I got a young, I have two sisters. One of them is significantly older. I joke with her about that. And then the younger one is two years younger than me. And I always prided myself on being a kid that learned from their mistakes. I didn't have to make the mistakes to learn the lesson. It's like, oh, my sister did that. She got in trouble. I'm not going to do it. Some of us learn the hard way. Some of us learn by cautionary tale. My hope is for us individually and as a church to look at David's life as a cautionary tale so we can steer clear of the things that come to knock us off course. When you look at chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israel army. I'm going to say it again. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. I believe that one of the things that come to knock us off course, brothers and sisters, in the time where we are intentionally out of place 
King David, you see, as the king, should have been out with his men. And you see in chapter 10, there is a story of him going out with his men to fight. And so it wasn't uncharacteristic of David to be doing the right thing. David was known as a man after God's own heart. But something had happened in David's heart. Something had happened in David's mind that at this point, this particular spring, when the rest of the kings were out at war, instead of David going out to be with his men, he sent Joab. Now, the good thing about this, if you know anything about Scripture, if you know anything about Joab, if you've read chapter 10, you see that Joab was a very gifted military strategic thinker. So it wasn't a bad decision to send him out. It just was not the right thing to do. And scripture calls attention to the fact that David sent Joab with the king's men. And so Joab was in the place of a king, though he was not the king. And the king stayed in Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but when I think back over my life, And some of the times that I found myself in bad situations, partly it was because I was in the wrong place when I shouldn't have been. And there are times when you find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time and it's by accident. But there are other times, brothers and sisters, if we are honest with ourselves, we find ourselves in the wrong place because we simply chose to be there. Like the person who is trying to be vegan and goes to a steakhouse. I'll tell you all about my vegan journey at another time. So we see David, who was chosen to replace Saul because he was a man after God's own heart. We see the guy who cares so much about the grandson, who cares so much about being honorable. He took care of Mephibosheth, the grandson of the man who was trying to kill him. This man... Now, all of a sudden, who was a mighty warrior, a righteous king, was now lounging around, sleeping in. Scripture says that one evening, one evening, which means like it wasn't just that he was at home chilling. You know, like when you take the day off of work and you think you're going to sleep in, but you still wake up at 8 o'clock and wash clothes and just kind of do all things. So you don't like even really enjoy the day off because you spend the day working. Like, no, David was lounging. So not only was he not at war, but he was like hanging out, being a bum, right? (laughs) And it says that one evening he got up from his bed, he walked around the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Our first indication that something was wrong with him was based on his character because we see him willingly being out of place and no good can come from that. And when we all suffer from the occasional oversight, but in this moment, we know the expectations. We know what should he be doing. We know that David should be at war. We know that David should be leading his men. We know that he should be fighting for the causes of God. But he's chilling. He's hanging out. And it's in those moments when we're intentionally in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing, that we find ourselves beginning to journey in the wrong direction. When we begin to ask ourselves, when we look at certain places and times and ask ourselves how we got to where we got, 
part of it is starting with acknowledging when and where the detour started and being able to recognize when did I start being out of place. Sometimes it's easier than others. Sometimes it's, it's easy to identify, but oftentimes we have to stop and think and say, where did I first venture off course? And if for some reason, when that GPS of life, when the GPS, the inner GPS of the Holy Spirit is telling us that we're going in the wrong direction, if for some reason we are able to ignore it and find ourselves out of place, the next thing that happens that keeps us going down this trajectory is ignoring the warning signs. Because I can often look back and think about all of the different things that was coming when I was on my way to making bad decisions. All the different things that were coming to say, no, stop, don't do it, slow down. (laughs) But sometimes being so determined, so determined to do the wrong thing, we ignore the one times. We see here that David, David got several. If you look at... Verses 2 through 4 says, So one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. I think that's warning sign number one. Walking around, hanging out. Oh, it's the reason why the scripture tells us to flee from sin. To flee from temptation. Because we within our own power do not have the ability to just sit and let temptation surround us and engross us and encamp us. Like we can't, we're not that strong. We're not that good. We're not that powerful that we can just sit in the midst of temptation. I remember this song when I grew up, the church I grew up in, there was a, we had a, we called it the Sanctuary Choir. And one of the songs that I remember that they sung all the time, it was like, yield not to temptation for yielding to sin. And for whatever reason, like that verse just kind of keeps stuck in my head. And then like the course was like, ask the Savior to help you comfort, strengthen, and teach you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. And it's in those moments when temptation starts to strike that we have to tell ourselves like, no, like I I am not strong enough to handle this. But David not only looks and he gazes, but then David sent someone. And we talked about a couple weeks ago, like how sending was this theme in these verses. David sending his men, David sending emissaries, David sending Joab into war, David sending someone to ask. And so once again, we see David use his authority to sin, I mean to sin, duh, not sin, but sin, use his authority to sin in a way that was abusing the power that he had. Because he was well within his rights to send the army ahead and then eventually meet them in battle. But we see that one of the things where he started to stray was when he sent Joab when he wasn't supposed to, but he sends Joab, and now he's sending someone to find out about this woman that he saw bathing. So there's one on the side of number two. So, so the person comes back and they, says, they say to him, oh, she is Iliam's wife and Uriah's daughter. 
Because it was customary when you introduced the woman to connect her to her husband. If she was single, then maybe it was her family. But it wasn't customary to say both the father and the husband. So the person that was coming back to David saw what was about to happen and was trying to maybe help him make a better decision. Not only, like, so listen, she is Iliam's daughter, Iliam, your advisor, Iliam, one of your warriors, Iliam, somebody that you have leaned on. Like David, she is Iliam's daughter. And if that wasn't enough, (laughs) he's like, and Uriah's wife. Like how, how much more clear? And it has to be a brave person who is coming back to the king, trying to warn the king, like, listen, you're about to do something stupid, dude. <laughs> this is Iliam's wife and Uriah's daughter. You would think that maybe that would be like the thing that like got him to stop. Kind of like when the kids are at home and they're doing something they're not supposed to do and somehow they get a call, like when you call and say like, hey, what's going on? Like, oh, nothing, mom. We're just washing the dishes and cleaning our room. Okay, well, I'm on my way home. It's like, it's like that, that warning sign that you're giving your kids saying, listen, I'm almost there. So if you're doing something I'm going to be upset about, fix it before I walk in the door, right? So this is, this is that, like this. <laughs> Dude, like don't. Stop. No. You would think that would have been enough for David, but it wasn't. Because David again sent messengers, it says, to get her. So now David is ignoring all of the warning signs. And then the writer also tells us in parentheses that she was cleansing herself from her monthly situation. So, you're already at home. You're not supposed to be there. You're hanging out. Your men are at war. You don't really care. You see somebody. You're gazing. You're watching. You bring other people into it. They're trying to warn you. No. And then here's this other little indication that essentially tells us that something big is about to happen. That she's cleansing herself. But David is, David is so deep. David is so deep in this place of sin that he, he is so deep, he is so lost that all of the signs that God was sending him to stop, to not go forward, he was ignoring. And so the scripture says she came to him and he slept with her. Then she went back home. Scripture says the woman conceived. Now, Bathsheba was going to do some sending. David had been doing all of the sending at this point. Sending out men, sending out messengers, getting all this information, finding out who she was. And Bathsheba sent the message back. I'm pregnant. Here's yet another opportunity for us, when we, when we get past not being able to recognize when we're in the wrong place, when we get past ignoring the warning signs, then maybe the fear of consequence can be the thing that stops us. 
But brothers and sisters, sometimes in these moments, we are so lost in ourselves. We are so lost in this place that even consequences don't matter. In this moment, when the word comes back, David has the opportunity to stop again. David has the opportunity to own up. David has the opportunity to maybe offer Bathsheba some comfort. To confess his sins to the Lord. But instead, we know what happens next. David enacts one of the plots of all plots, one of the biggest cover-ups in history, like Watergate-level cover-up. See, sometimes we get so lost in these places that we can't recognize that we're in the wrong place, that we ignore the warning signs that are in front of us, That we don't consider the consequences and all of the people that it affects around us because we only care about ourselves. And we are so bent on avoiding the consequences that we begin to bring other people into the mess with us. You don't have to raise your hand, but think back. If you're honest with yourself, in those moments, How many times have we brought people into our own turmoil because we didn't want to face the music? And so, David, in an attempt to cover up the mistakes that he's made, he starts to bring other people. And the, and, and the unfortunate part is this. He didn't learn his lesson because oftentimes we are in too deep. We often try to use the same means to get out of trouble that got us into trouble in the first place. That it was lack of moral character. It was lack of integrity that got David into this problem. And for whatever reason, he had yet to even acknowledge God. There is no mention of him even thinking about God in this text. And so instead of being a man after God's own heart who often, often chased and called people to worship God, he tried to use the same lack of moral integrity ways that got him into trouble to get out. He sets in motion this elaborate elaborate plan. And his hope was to get an honorable man to do something dishonorable. Part of the reason why they keep mentioning that Uriah was a Hittite was to remind us that Uriah, who was a foreigner by nature, had chosen to serve the Hebrew God, had chosen to serve the Hebrew king, had chosen to serve in the army and fight the war of a foreign fight. So this man was more righteous as a foreigner than the man who was chosen to be king. In this moment... David was trying to bring in. And the irony of it is this. Because part of it, I say, like, this is the worst kept scandal in the world. And part of me wonders and speculates if at some point between David's first invitation and first conversation when he brings Uriah in and he acts like he really cares about what's going on with the war. Like, oh, yeah, how's Joab? 
hey, why don't you go home and wash your feet? Hang out. Uriah's like, no, the Ark of the Ark of the Covenant doesn't have proper cover. The soldiers don't have proper cover. My military leader, Joab, does not have proper cover. There's no way that I can go home and hang out with my wife while my brothers are out there fighting. It says that he slept with the palace guard. Now, I don't know about you. David sent somebody to find out who this woman was. He sent somebody to get her. So she had to pass through the palace. She went home. She sent word back. She didn't come directly. So all of this sending and all this messing and going back and forth makes me wonder how much the palace guard actually knew. And if when Uriah decided to sleep with the palace guard, if some of the guards started talking, because when you see his response the second time, when he, when he goes back to the king, David, David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, why uh, haven't you just come from military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said, the ark and Israel and Judah are standing tents and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camps in open country. How could I go into my house to eat and drink and be with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. So Uriah is standing on his morals. And saying, you know what, king, I know what you're trying to get me to do. I'm not going to do it. And I have to wonder how much Uriah knew at this point. So then David tries one more time. He, he invites him back and he gets him a little inebriated. Hoping that maybe this state of inebriation would allow him to be more comfortable breaking his morals. The reality is we don't wake up and become immoral. We don't take a nap and all of a sudden find ourselves unhealthy physically and emotionally. Our relationships don't fall apart overnight. Our marriages don't fall apart overnight. Our churches don't fall apart overnight. Oftentimes we get to that place over time and as we make intentional decisions that have long-term effects, we ignore the warning signs that are right in front of us. We acknowledge what we refuse to acknowledge what they mean. And the hope is that the problems just stop. But unfortunately for us, sometimes things get worse before they get better. And that's where I want to leave us today. Because one of the things that we struggle with and we don't like to sit with as a church is things that are uncomfortable, things that bring us pain, and things that are hard. We know where David's story ends. But right now, this week, I want us to think about and reflect over the fact That this king that we revere so much, this king who was in the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this king, David, who was a man after God's own heart, has found himself in a place that many of us have found ourselves in where we're making bad decisions that don't reflect the love of God in our lives. 
And instead of tying it up in a neat bow for you today, I want us to sit with that. Sit with it and reflect. And think about the places and the times and the things that have led you and us to some very dark places. How did we get here? How did I get here? How did I get there? Because maybe for you this is a story of the past. And you can, you can look back and say, like, you know what? I remember when I was there and I remember that God brought me out. And maybe it's in the midst of that reflection that you can share your story in a way that gives life to somebody who was going through it at this moment. King. found himself in a pretty precarious situation. There were some opportunities that he had to maybe rectify the situation a little bit sooner, but he was so deep in it, he kept digging and digging and digging and digging. And next week, we'll spend some time talking about just how low he got. Because sometimes in our faith journey, in our faith walk, we have to hit rock bottom before we can make our way back up. So as we end our time today, I invite you to think and sit in this uncomfortable place of knowing that sometimes the darkest places, the most painful places in our lives We find ourselves there because of the decisions that we make.